Now this morning, there was a, a story about a, um, a former park ranger at Yellowstone National Park, right? And the, the story is that the ranger had this group of hikers, and he is so intent on taking them to this fire lookout, on showing, sharing with them the animals and the flowers and all of the different things along the way, that he considered the messages on his two-way radio so distracting that he just turned the radio off. Okay? And as they're nearing the tower, um, this ranger was met by a, a lookout who was almost out of breath, who wanted to know why he wasn't responding to the messages on his radio because a grizzly had been stalking the group and they're trying to warn him of the danger. Now this past year, we have asked you to join us on a journey with God. A journey of connecting with God personally. A journey of growing spiritually. A journey of putting your life into play for God's kingdom for you to grow and to grow his kingdom and a journey of connecting with others who are doing the same thing through our church to make an eternal difference. I hope as this new year approaches this week and this turn in the calendar that just does something for a lot of people, I hope that these things are um, part of your greatest hopes for 2020. But tune in your radios for a minute with me, right? And hear a warning. The enemy has been stalking you. And he doesn't want you to engage with God on this journey, right? And he is prepared to fight against it. Growing spiritually um, is not an easy task. To grow in these areas of our lives that we've been talking about, to move forward spiritually most of us are going to have to address some barriers, some issues in our life that create a barrier for us growing spiritually. In our history, they have shown to slow us down at times. At other times, they have shown to detour us completely. Now, today we're going to launch a series that we're calling Overcome. Okay? Dealing with these spiritual barriers in our life. Over the next several weeks, starting next week, we're going to look at some things that the scriptures tell us. If this area isn't addressed in your life, you're not going to move forward, or you're going to move forward slowly, or the, slow, the growth is going to be so slow that you're just going to be discouraged. Does that sound familiar? <laughs> Does that sound a little bit like a history journey you've been on at times? You get excited, you connect with God, and then you don't address the things in your life that slow you down and you, and you end up thinking, well, I, just, it's, I guess I just am not meant to whatever. Okay? With God's help, Scripture tells us, life has shown us we can overcome these barriers and when we do, we may find that our greatest days of spiritual growth are just ahead. So today I'm going to frame up the challenge for you. I want us to understand this. When we grow spiritually, okay, we are becoming the truest version of ourselves. Do you ever look forward and, and you think, wow, that would be great, but that's just not me? When you think about what you could be spiritually and where you could go spiritually, okay, that is simply not true. 
Okay? Our truest version of ourselves, like the person God has created to be, us to be, is a person who grows spiritually into the likeness of Jesus. And it's actually just us embracing who it is that we were created to be and, and the, in the first place, right? And here's the good news. The good news from the scriptures is when we consider this challenge concerning certain barriers and growing into the likeness, this is what God's word tells us in the book of 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Listen to these words. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. The good news is that we already have everything we need to overcome these barriers we're going to talk about over the next few weeks. God has given them to us. So to frame up the challenge, let's begin with a caution. Okay? If we are going to grow spiritually, we had better expect a battle. Okay. We'd better expect a battle. Turn to the book of Ephesians chapter 6. Open your Bibles and your Bible apps. In that Bible in front of you in the chair, it's page 1160. Sometimes you hear church leaders say outright or imply that becoming a Christian leads to a life that is simple and smooth. Okay. They imply that connecting to God cures everything. One dose and there's no more trouble, okay? That is simply not true, okay? That's not what we find in the Bible. Instead, we're told to expect the fight, to expect the battle, and that we have to fight, and that we're going to have to keep on fighting. This is what Paul says in Ephesians 6, beginning in verse 10. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to take your stand or stand your ground and after you've done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit that is the word of God. Now, I'm going to leave the specifics for the armor of God for another time when we trek through the book of Ephesians specifically. But this morning, I want to look at the first part of our message today, at verses 10 through 12, and make some observations of what Paul is saying here. He starts with an action item for us there in verse 10. He says, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Now, you don't get a sense from the English translation, but this verb and how it's written in the Greek is actually showing that this isn't something that we do. This is something that is done to us, and it's not just done once. It's done continually. It's a command to know God's strength and to live so close in relationship to God that we are able, through His strength, through His strength, 
to live obedient lives. Okay? His strength comes to us when we grow closer to Him. And it's based on how important we make Jesus in our lives. And He teaches us in verse 11 that if we're going to experience that strength, if we will experience that power that we're to put on the full armor of God, think about the armor that's listed in that last section that we read, verses 14 through 17, as a way of identifying with God, identifying with His purposes. Put on the armor of God. It's actually putting on God Himself or His characteristics. Put on truth. Put on righteousness. Put on faith. Put on peace. And we do this so that we can take our stand against the devil's schemes. Now, it shouldn't be news to you if you've been in the kingdom any time at all that the devil uses tricks and he uses deceit. Okay? The truth is evil rarely looks evil until it accomplishes its goal. <laughs> once, you, once you bite, then you taste. Once you act, then you feel. Once you fall for it, then you realize um, that you've been duped. Right? Evil gains ground by appearing attractive and desirable and even legitimate. It, it, it's a camouflaged trap that's part of a covert battle. The enemy studies us and then he stalks us. And then he lays traps for us, and unless we're aware of it and on guard spiritually, all of us can testify that we just fall for his traps. Okay? Listen, if you seek a religion that is comfortable, okay, Christianity is not it. Like a carefree life does not exist when you look through the lens of Scripture. We're called to peace but peace that we are told is going to have to happen in the midst of struggle. We need a sense of urgency, an awareness of the conflict, and a reality of our own danger. For as Paul writes in verse 12, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. Uh, contrary to how it seems in our day-to-day -day life, our struggle is not with men or women. Okay? People are not the enemy. They're with evil forces. Satan and his forces seek to disrupt life as God intends it, our life. And this is the reality that is captured in, as, in living as a follower of Jesus. That is our reality. Life on earth um, is a battleground. And so when we think about this battle we're in, and we think about moving forward, and you think about the changes you'd like to see in your life in the coming year, and all of those things that kind of naturally flow through our thinking this time of year, we realize that we are in a battle. And sometimes we break the enemies down into three categories. I want to this morning. The world, the flesh, and the devil. Okay? Let's start, about, start with the enemy around us, the world. 
Okay? The world is a whole value system which dominates society and is contrary to the ways of God. Okay? It's a man-centered way of life that ignores God and operates by self-centered principles, selfish principles, ungodly standards. It's a world system of values that comprises a way of life that's exciting and colorful. It's seductive and it's sweet and it's wonderful. And as a result, we're constantly in danger of getting wrapped up in it and the danger of giving spiritual values second place, getting upside down in our priorities, saying Jesus is Lord of my life. But in reality, the world is controlling my thoughts and my actions and my attitudes. The principles of the world are force and greed, selfishness, ambition, pleasure. The philosophy of the world says the only important thing is this life. John addresses this in his first letter, chapter 2, beginning in verse 15 where he says these words, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. So John breaks down this world or worldliness into three parts. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, the pride of life. When you think about the lust of the flesh, think, think sensualism, meaning craving anything that gratifies the senses. To lust means to be hot over something or hot after something. In contrast, any sinful desire of your life that, that is contrary to or fights against the will of God. That's the lust of the flesh. All of those things we desire that God says, this is not my best for you. All the things of this world that we want that, that just tickle our senses. God says, short-term gain, long-term loss. When you think about lust of the eyes, think, think about materialism. This, this covetous itching to own um, what we see is sometimes described someone who's who's captivated you know see a new car have to have the new car <laughs> see a new dress have to have a new dress see that position that's available or that's not available have to have that position see that person have to have that person cars and dresses and positions and people like they're not in and of themselves sinful, but this excessive desire to have them, that's what we see as sinful. A desire to have anything that is contrary to God's will, the Bible would remind us, is sinful. One writer says it's, it's an undue desire to get the things that we don't need and buy them with money that we don't have to impress people we don't like. <laughs> That's the lust of the eyes. And then when you think about the pride of life, think about egotism. 
right? The desire to enhance your own prestige or inflate your own um, reputation. This desire to get the spotlight shining on yourself. And that's not a personality thing. Like some of us have very low-key background personalities say, oh, that's not me. And yet, when we want the attention on ourselves, it is us. It expresses this desire for recognition, for applause, for status, for advantage in life. When the guy who has zero in his bank account tells you that he has all the money in the world, when there's someone who always has to one-up one you and, and you tell them about your trip across the state and they tell you about their trip across the world, always better than that need, that pride of life. Back in 1973, there was a situation in Stockholm, Sweden, where a guy robbed a bank and he held hostages for 36 hours. And over the time, it was interesting as they studied what happened, what people went through, that there was this emotional and psychological phenomenon that took place when at the end of those 36 hours, the people who were held captive actually became sympathetic to their captors. Okay? Now, the FBI talks about this scenario. They call it the Stockholm Syndrome. They say it happens all the time. At first, people get angry, and they get mad, and they're fearful. But the longer they stay there, they become persuaded, almost brainwashed until they almost become, feel like they're friends with the people who hold them captive. I would suggest that is exactly what happens to us. The world grabs us and at first we fight and we push back and we get angry and we see the devastation around us and it just invokes a, a righteous anger inside of us. But after time, so easy just to embrace the lifestyle, to embrace the philosophies and the identity of this world. But remember John said, this world and its desires pass away. But whoever does the will of God lives forever. Now the world around us presents a battle, okay? a challenge to our spiritual growth, and we are foolish not to recognize it. But there's also the enemy within us. Okay? The Bible calls it the flesh. It's referred to in the Bible as our, as our human nature. It describes it as our natural tendency to sin. The Bible tells us that we're born with this heart that is inclined toward sin, this bent to do wrong. And that we're going to struggle with it throughout our life. James writes in the book of James chapter 1, beginning in verse 13, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. So as Christians, we have two natures. This new life that we received when we accepted Christ. And that old sinful nature, or the flesh, the new nature is controlled by the Holy Spirit. 
The old nature is controlled by the sinful desires. Paul says this in Galatians chapter 5, verse 6, 17, describing it very vividly. He says simply, the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. You don't hear that very often. I'm going to say it again. So that you are not to do whatever you want. So because of it, even our best actions are sometimes tainted by selfishness and pride. I mean, it's possible to pray simply in order to impress someone else. Jesus addressed that in Matthew chapter 6. It's possible to give money just to be impressed or applauded because of our generosity. Jesus dealt with that as well in Matthew chapter 6. Even good things, if they're done selfishly, aren't honoring to God. The flesh has this bent towards rejecting authority. It's slanted toward this worship of ourself. Do you ever find yourself worshiping your abilities or your strength or your cleverness or your ideas or your reputation? That's the flesh. As Christians, we are told over and over again in Scripture that we've got to learn to say no to our sinful nature. 1 Peter 2.11 says, Abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. If you found yourself in this battle, trying to move forward spiritually, but just not having a lot of success, take note of Peter's words. Abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. You can't get by with just a little. (laughs) You can't just stick your toe across the line. Because our heart is inclined toward evil and it wants to go all the way. And when the flesh rears its ugly head, we have to say as in Romans 6 verse 11, in the same way count yourselves dead to sin but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to Him as an instrument of righteousness. We have to submit to the Holy Spirit's rule in our lives. It doesn't come naturally, that's the point. It's a spiritual decision, the power of God in you. It's greater than your flesh. It's greater than your desires. God has given us victory over the flesh. We have to choose to exercise that victory. Okay? And listen to this. Kill whatever kills your love for God. If you want to make great progress in your life, then you put to death or kill the things that kill your love for God. You know what they are. You know where you can be riding right spiritually and something takes you on a detour. Kill those things in your life life. Then finally, we recognize the enemy that we wrestled with at the beginning of the message here, and that is the enemy himself, Satan. Every believing Christian is, is we are subjected to the influences of the world. It's the prevailing culture. We can't escape it. We're in the middle of it. And also, we're subjected to the persuasions of the flesh. 
right? Our twisted, fallen nature that calls us to return to, the, to our false self and not to pursue our true self. But beyond both those powers is, is the devil himself seeking to hold us in captivity. The Bible describes Satan as a deceiver and an accuser and a murderer and a tempter and a liar. He seduces and he opposes and he deceives and he tempts and he hinders and he blasphemes. He's personal, he's intelligent, and he's destructive. And he is going to do all he can to hinder our Christian lives. He is constantly battling for the soul of the sinner and for the life of the believer. And his strategy is very simple. It's to destroy our confidence in the goodness of God. It's what he did in the beginning of, with Adam and Eve in the garden where he convinced them that God wasn't really that good, <laughs> that God was really holding out on them is to get people to doubt the Word of God. But Satan's attacks don't always come in the open. Not easily observed forms. He uses subtlety, and he's crafty, and he uses the allure of the world, and he uses the appeal of the flesh to try to get us to do what God has told us is not best for us. These then are the three enemies of the Christian life, the world, the flesh, and the devil. We can overcome the world by appropriately separating ourselves, especially our hearts and our ambitions from it. We can overcome the flesh by denying it. We can overcome the devil by resisting him. All three are helped when we kill whatever kills our love for God. Now, I will be the first to admit to you that, that this whole area of overcoming, right, seems like a daunting challenge, okay? Um, there have been times in life where it seems like I have been easy picking <laughs> for any of these three enemies, okay? I, like you, have found myself... Um, just, just sucker-punched by the allure of the world, right? First enamored, and then defeated. Okay? I fought and continue to fight personal battles with temptation and sin for all 35 years of my Christian life, right? And I anticipate from what I read in Scripture that that battle will go on for the rest of my life as well. Well, I have a healthy respect for the devil and his role in this battle. Um, I want to say as forcefully as I can and bring you back to Peter's words in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, this truth that his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. If we start this overcome series, okay, expect a battle. Expect one as you strive to grow spiritually, but expect to win the battle. That is the message of Scripture. That is our hope. That is our victory. 
The Bible tells us, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. You put on his strength and you will win that battle. You put on his eyes and you will see the world for what it is. You embrace his spirit and you will see those things from the flesh just as that, the things of the flesh, and you will recognize the crafty schemes of the enemies. And because God has your heart and because you have his strength, you'll be able to say no to these things. Listen, if you belong to Jesus, this power is already yours. And if you don't, why wait any longer? Today could be the day. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to sing. If you want to talk about that, if you want to pray about one of these things that is burdening you, then join us in the back. We'll be happy to pray with you as we worship. But first, let's pray. Ah, Father God, we are so um, aware of our inadequacies. And Lord, we know of our struggles. And Lord, we have more than, more than a lot of times asked you to pick us up um, from defeat. We have asked you to help us to grow, to move forward, Lord. And as we embark on the end of this year and this new year, we're asking again for you to do a new work in us, a good work in us, to move us forward spiritually. We understand we have the power. We understand the truth of your word. May we embrace it. May we live in it. May we grow in it. May we claim victory in it. Through Jesus we pray. Amen.